Video for this podcast is available at youtube.com slash user slash witchhousemedia. hppodcraft.com uh, We're live. And uh, I got some sophisticated spooky lighting here. Okay, do it, do it. Yeah, look. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read this up. Very nice. The Red Death had long devastated the country. No pestilence had ever been so fatal or so hideous. Blood was its avatar and its seal, the redness and the horror of blood. There were sharp pains and sudden dizziness and then profuse bleeding at the pores with disillusion. The scarlet stains upon the body and especially upon the face of the victim were the pest ban which shut him out from the aid and from the sympathy of his fellow men. And the whole seizure, progress, and termination of the disease were the incidents of half an hour. That was the opening of Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death. And you were listening and watching the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. That's right. Normally at hppodcraft.com. Uh, today we're on our brand new Witch House Media YouTube page. Uh, this will be, after we're done here, It'll you can watch the video whenever you want from there. And then we're going to start putting some other things up there. So it's going to be fun. Yes. And they're not just going to be video of Chad's cat. <laughs> there might be some of those. Uh, but not just, you, not exclusively. Are you even uh, broadcasting from the asylum or something, Chris? I am. Yes, I've been institutionalized. <laughs> it's, like room in there. <laughs> it's pretty. No, this is my living room, but it's. Um, I've. Uh, I've. I didn't have a chance to light like I was hoping to, and yeah. uh, it's sort of everything's just sort of fallen uh, into place as this. I had the poster set up, but it was too high on the wall, so I couldn't do yeah. the. Oh, it was very frustrating. Well, but all we want to really see is your your good-looking face so hey all right yeah <laughs> yeah so this is That's our first right. time trying this folks you can tweet to us while we're doing this at HP yeah Podcast. ask us any questions or comments or pointers or things that you think we should do differently maybe when we do this again um it's a little different for us normally we record the show and then we have a lot of time to edit and fix things that, lot we say of, that are dumb <laughs> a lot of time to edit and cut out all those dumb boring parts but right. today you're gonna get all those dumb boring parts <laughs> With our dumb, boring faces. That's right. Now, we are the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. The reason that we're covering an Edgar Allan Poe story is because Poe was, outside of maybe Lord Dunsany or Lord Dunsany, and uh, he was Lovecraft's favorite author. I mean, Lovecraft. He loved him. Absolutely went nuts for this guy. Absolutely. And in Supernatural Horror in Literature, which is an essay that Lovecraft wrote about the weird tale and how it should be executed, he actually has a whole chapter just dedicated to Poe. All Poe. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> and he mentions uh, this story along with some others. So maybe when we get done with our summary, we can go back and read a little of what Lovecraft had to say about this. Absolutely. Um, in our opening, that was, by the way, our reader was Chad Pfeiffer. Uh, <laughs> Wait, but it, you were much scarier than normal. You were using some sort of Chad. visual effect. Yeah. yeah. It was an intense visual effect that I think helped us with the terror. But let, let's now, go ahead and get into the story, right? All right. But yep. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the opening paragraph talks about this red death. It's a plague that has hit the land. Now, they're not very specific about what time this land is, but it is a, a time when there are princes and dukes and so on. For, because our protagonist or um, I guess he's a protagonist, isn't he? What, the main yeah. guy? Yeah. Prince Prospero. Oh, Prince Prospero. Yeah. He's yeah. the Sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's the good protagonist. And <laughs> he, uh, he decides the best way to avoid this whole plague is to go off to this abbey. Now, this is just a normal abbey. I didn't realize these abbeys existed, but it's an abbey with battlements. Yeah. 
and he's going to get all of his buddies, all of his friends, mm-hmm. and they're going to have kind of a, a Big Brother sort of event where they're all going to just be in this place Big and brother. ride out <laughs> and ride out the uh, the plague. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to party. They're going to they're going to hang out. Probably hook up with each other. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. It'll Th- be. That's funny that you say that. I you know Poe is often credited with inventing the detective story, with inventing science fiction story, but. Yes. This is a reality show that he invented here, isn't it? This is it? his first reality show. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it says that they, what are they, they had, the wall had gates of iron, and when they come in there, they weld the doors shut so that yeah. nobody can leave and nobody can come in. Exactly. Um, so they're hoping that that will stop this plague, whichever, whatever this plague is, assuming that it's not airborne. It's not yeah. an airborne pathogen. <laughs> it's some right. sort of uh, a plague. Now, there's some questions about what this plague is. Mm-hmm. Um but we'll talk about it that at the end of the okay. of the podcast. Okay. But 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 I think half the people in wherever this abbey is have died. I mean, the, the, the plague has wiped out half the population, and that's why Prospero said, "Let's get in here and let them deal with it out there, and, and we'll be safe." And he brought in a lot of entertainment and stuff. One of my favorite phrases is uh, it says, "The abbey was amply provisioned. Um, they had uh, buffoons, buffoons? <laughs> improvisatory." ballet dancers, musicians, uh, and wine. But <laughs> I think the reason that they welded the doors shut so that people wouldn't have these sudden impulses of despair or frenzy was because of this improv group that's here. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, <laughs> day eight of prop freeze? <laughs> All right, I need a location, I need a career, and I need I'm a... I'm a pirate! <laughs> freeze! Now I'm the Pringles man. <laughs> what? It's a mustache. I'm doing prop freeze. Oh, the prop freeze. Yeah. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. I'm Mr. T. You know, I'm, I'm looking at my notes right now, so I actually can't see what you're doing. Oh, well, this is what so would be I, happening I miss- while prop freeze is going on in the Abbey as well. People will be distracted <laughs> and doing other things. Oh, geez. Okay. So, okay. wait, I missed. There was a prop. There was a mustache and I missed the prop. I wonder if there's a way I it's could. It's my flashlight. It's the only prop I have. Oh, all right. Well. Anyway. Uh, there we go. Uh, this is this is pretty awful. What he's doing? Oh my god! Yeah, I mean it's it's really anti. I think the story is all anti uh, bourgeois. I do too. Uh, aristocracy because they're all a bunch of jerks. They take all this food, all these resources, all these all this stuff that could be used to help the people that are suffering from this plague, and then they go, you know what? We're just going to go and live the high life <laughs> in this exactly. abbey. And have crazy parties because yeah. <laughs> that's what Prospero decides to do. Come the fifth or sixth month, not sure. Nobody's really keeping track of time because they're just drunk the whole yeah. time, I'm guessing. Yeah. He decides he's going to throw this kick-ass party. And now the Abbey has got this, what, what they call an imperial suite, which I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about imperial suite before. Yeah. But with an imperial suite, you have seven rooms that are attached to this this whole section here. And the the rooms are usually kind of lined up in a way that you can move walls back and forth and sort of open it up and you can kind of yeah, get this so whole big... Yeah, so it's like big... one long passage you can kind of look through. Right, exactly. If the doors are all open. Exactly. But this, however, is uh, he had this set up so that you have to turn a corner to be able to see into the next the next room. And what he does with this is sort of make it a surprise. So every time you walk one from one room into the other, you're going to get this whole sort of experience, right. this whole 
kind of an art installation that he's doing here. Uh, now, each room has got a color theme. The first uh, room is blue, then purple, then green, then orange, white, violet, and then um, the last one is black. Now, all these rooms are so themed that even the stained glass windows are in the color of, of, the, of the theme. Yeah. However, the last room, the black room, has red stained glass windows. Right. That's the Scarlet. spooky room. It's the spooky room. Well, the hallway that that runs along the rooms, so there's no light in the rooms. The light's yes. on the outside in the hallway coming through the stained glass windows, so it creates this very eerie effect in all the rooms. Right. And, and they use they use uh, the uh, uh, braziers. Br- braziers. Braziers. <laughs> I'm sure they did, but they also use braziers of, of fire that they kind of, the light shines in and it flickers and it makes this whole right. kind of crazy uh, club-like effect. And uh, uh, club-like, got, yeah, the smoke machine. Well, the smoke machine. Well, this kind of this part reminds me of. Well, first of all, it reminds me of Deathlock, which is the band from Metalocalypse. But secondly, okay. if the, the you know how goth the whole goth, goth culture was into is into like black and velvet and mm-hmm. and these types of things. This is where it comes from. This is the goods yeah. right here. This is yeah. the Bible of how to goth it up. It is. And, it is indeed. <laughs> and they're telling you, hey. Everything's black. Let's get a black clock in here, ebony. It'll be really creepy, but we want some red. Throw in a little red, yeah. a little. Except they don't even say red; they say crimson, or scarlet. You know, they I think your they, bedroom used to look like this back when we uh, shared an apartment down the street. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it's a red velvet and, and a candelabra. Maybe a little bit. Now, this is interesting about the rooms. You said they're each done in a different color. Now, a lot of people, most people, say that the story is an allegory, meaning that it's um, it's a story to make a point about something larger, which is uh, what they say is that it's about life and, and death, right? That each right. of these rooms and the color of it um, symbolize the stages of life and and the man when he shows up, which we'll get to in a minute, represents death. Joe Moran tweeted us and said, perhaps the plague is simply death itself. I think that, in fact, I, I was looking up uh, like the spark notes about the story and it flat out said, this story is an allegory. No debate about that. Right. And I don't agree actually well i've i've read that poe hate hated allegory and that he wouldn't have written an allegory because no. uh he just thought the whole thing was stupid and <laughs> the idea of an allegory mm-hmm. but the uh that this story is maybe more about being uh, a kind of a revenge story it's more of a revenge story about the right. bourgeois and the you know the rich people taking advantage and and that no matter what they do they're still gonna get it i think that uh that element of the class divide is what what i would say is why it's not an allegory this isn't everybody you know inside the walls of this castle it's just the wealthy people right and and you read my favorite post stories are hop frog and the cask of amontillado and those are revenge tales i mean he can really do it like nobody else can i hope we get a cover cask of amontillado at some point that's the one where the guy gets walled up alive in the room and and hop frog it's the um the dwarf who strings up all the king's men in these gorilla costumes and sets them on fire i mean it's amazing revenge stuff and i don't think this is any different and in fact the original title of it when it was published was the, the mask of the red death a fantasy and i think that's probably the better description of it because something very fantastic happens um the, the disease is sort of personified and right. that's the fantastic element of it and i think in that respect it's more like a a, a weird tale than it is like a uh, an album anyway where where were we in the story and i agree so <laughs> uh, uh I agree so with myself, Tim. <laughs> 
and I, I know you agree with yourself. Uh, so we've got the mood lighting. We've set the scene. Mm-hmm. This party is rocking and rolling. Uh, oh, there's this clock. I forgot. I mentioned right, this briefly. Right. Yeah, there's this big uh, uh, ticking clock pendulum. You know, it's got a loud dong. It's it's really loud dong. <laughs> a big pendulum and a loud dong. And it's uh, every hour, it's so loud that the musicians stop and the people stop dancing because the musicians stop playing and everybody gets really nervous and sort of freaked out. And then once the, the, the ringing stops, they kind of go back to dancing and partying and rocking and rolling. Yeah. But this, what this does is kind of set a, um, uh, it's, it's, it sets a, an anticipation because every hour that clock's going to go off and this time, you know, the next time it's going to be longer. So, right, right. so, you know, at one, it just rings once two, it rings twice. And by the time you get to midnight, you know, you've got a lot of dongs there. <laughs> God, dude. All right, yeah. But you know what? There you is. I, I think that there is. Since you're going to go that route with it, there, there is definitely um, sexual content in here. I mean, he's he he dodges at it, but a lot of the grotesqueries and a lot of the stuff that he describes in here. I mean, it, it's it's basically a giant orgy, right? Yeah. Well, he says, and his. Uh, I mean, the right. I'm looking at a word right here. His conceptions glowed with barbaric luster. You know, like. Mm-hmm. It, that sounds it sounds i mean it's not overtly sexual but it does no. seem that yeah there's definitely like the vocabulary that's used here makes me feel like it is sexy or yeah. uh maybe that's just in my head no it's not i'll do another <laughs> there were delirious fancies such as the madman fashions there was much of the beautiful much of the wanton hmm? much of the bizarre something of the terrible and not a little of that which might have excited disgust to and fro in the seven chambers there stalked, in fact, a multitude of dreams, and these, the dreams, writhed in and about, taking hue from the rooms and causing the wild music of the orchestra to seem as the echo of their steps. And, anon, there strikes the ebony clock which stands in the hall of the velvet, and then for a moment all is still, and all is silent save the voice of the clock. The dreams are stiff-frozen as they stand, but the echoes of the chime die away. They have endured but an instant. And a light, half-subdued laughter floats after them as they depart. Some cool writing. It is. It's, I mean, this whole thing's cool writing. It's Poe. Yeah. Come on, man. It is. <laughs> so, like I said, the ringing happens, people get a little nervous, and then once it goes away, they kind of laugh it off a little bit, like, oh, why, why, why are we so nervous? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to drinking. And, uh, and that's it. So this party was... And now when he says, actually, the dreams, are those... Mm-hmm dancers do you think that he's talking about are they actual physical people or is that yeah what do you, I think, what do you think he be- means by that well because it's a masquerade party so everybody's dressed up in these crazy outfits and the light when they go into these rooms makes them look even stranger so i think he's just referring to the party guests but there's dancers there too you know so it's it's a big shifting writhing mass of rich bastards basically in the party <laughs> Right, and he talks about how it was uh, danced up, or how it was decorated in this really intense fashion. And he mentions that it was almost like a Hernani, um, like it, it hasn't been seen since Hernani was put on. Now Hernani was a, it's a play by uh, Victor Hugo that was about a love triangle, well, a love square because there's four people involved in it, and then lots of suicide at the end. But what was Great. What was really uh, big about this play is what it was put on is that the production was insane and it drove people to 
like rioting and everything went nuts and there was just all this really elaborate decoration and lighting effects and mm-hmm. and all that stuff so okay um that, that's when he m- makes reference to that there that's what he's talking about okay cool well now when the stru- the clock finally strikes midnight and uh, that's when this guy shows up that nobody's ever seen before right right and uh he's he's wearing a long is it like it's like a black cloak right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's got a uh a mask on that looks like a corpse and it has the uh, blood spatter on it so it looks like a victim of the plague right and um prince prospero sees this and it's it's funny how he says he um his eyes fell upon the image, which, with a slow and solemn movement, as if to more fully sustain its role, stalked to. I just think he's looking back and forth creepily among the Walters, and then it's this guy, right? <laughs> um, and he doesn't like this getup. I mean, what you know, this is what they're trying to protect themselves against. So he doesn't like the way that he showed up for this party. Mm-hmm. He, he says, "Who dares?" By the way, have you seen the um, the Roger Corman? No. Vincent Price. No, I never have. No, I haven't. Well, if you're in the U.S., it's streaming on Netflix right now. It's it's pretty cool. I I mean, I remember watching bits and pieces of it all the time on cable when I was a kid. But the um, the Red Death when he comes in, it's got this great red costume, and his mask isn't a corpse mask. It's actually fabric, and it's got little like tassels here. So it's kind of Cthulhu-ish, actually. And when he speaks, it sort of you know floats up. Oh. yeah, it's pretty interesting. And they, they obviously it's a movie, so they extend the story a little bit. Um, sure. But and they mix in a little hop frog, uh, but Vincent Price is really excellent, really excellent in that movie. It's again, it's Vincent Price. Yeah. So what, what is, is he what not is excellent in? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Somebody tweet. Anybody just... tweet? Can, can you tweet a movie that Vincent Price is not excellent in? Because I don't think that exists. The Vincent Price isn't excellent in. No, he's pretty much good in anything. Zane good Graves in... tweeted us, "Dong." That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ringing of the bell. Oh, now, yeah, that is the ringing of the bell. That's right. So, yeah, that's, um, that's all it is. So the prince sees him and he says, "Hey, don't wear that kind of costume in my party. I don't, yeah. I don't like that. Who are you? Unmask yourself." And and everybody kind of pushes in towards him for a second, right? Mm-hmm. They're in the blue room, which is the first in the suite of rooms, right? And the the Red Death is not very fearful of them. He, in fact, he approaches Prospero, and then he walks past him through the whole suite of rooms. Yep, yep, yep. And, and everybody and- just lets him go. Well, yeah, and, and Prospero says, "Hey, go get that guy. He's a jerk. We're gonna we're gonna show you." And then nobody nobody does anything. Nobody does it, no, <laughs> nobody's. are just kind of scared of this guy. So Prospero flips out and mm-hmm. and pulls a Is pulls a knife. Right? Yeah, yeah, he pulls a knife and he's gonna stab uh, this this guy, the Red Death, mm-hmm. and he pursues him through all of the the rooms, and everybody sort of follows behind. Mm-hmm. And then when they get into the black room, he hear, they hear a scream, and then uh, he's he's dead. Prospero's been stabbed. Yeah. He, oh, I don't even think he's been stabbed. Oh, no. Oh, you're right. You're right. He hasn't been yeah. stabbed. He just, he was just, The Red Death dies. rolls around, you know, looks at him. He drops the dagger, and, and, he, and he dies. You're right. He wasn't stabbed. And uh, when, then now everybody, uh, is this part of our reading here? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we read it? You, okay. You, sure. you, you want to do this one, or you want me to? Sure. Then, summoning the wild courage of despair, a throng of revelers at once threw themselves into the black apartment, and seizing the murmur, whose tall figure stood erect 
and motionless within the shadows of the ebony clock, grasped in unutterable horror at finding the grave cremants and corpse-like masks. I can't believe I just did that. Which, see, now this is why this we is why edit. We edit. You this also is why said, we edit. Uh, I, I don't know what you said. Instead of mummer, you said something else that was funny. Mummer? What did I say? I don't know. All right, well, I'll get back into it. A corpse-like mask, which they handled with so violent... <laughs> with so violent rudeness, untented by the tangible form. My God. I'm, on t I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm just in trouble right you now. You just don't have the spooky lighting. Here, I'm going to come in on the last little section. Here. Okay, this is, good. This makes everything work with you. Save me, Bisher, please. And now was acknowledged the presence of the Red Death. He had come like a thief in the night and one by one dropped the revelers in the blood-bedewed halls of their revel, and died each in the despairing posture of his fall. And the life of the ebony clock went out with that of the last of the gay, and the flames of the tripods expired, and darkness and decay, and the red death held a limitable dominion over all. And then if I do this, it's like we're in a J.J. Abrams movie. Are you doing some lens flare? Yeah, a little lens flare thing. Yeah. So that's the end of the story. That's, and that's the end of the story. That's yeah. it. Uh, it's very short. And uh, this story was published back in May of 1842. Wow. That is a long time ago. Yeah. In Graham's Magazine. Corey Wonderly wrote, you could say his movies are priceless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. But they would be, they're priceful, aren't they? <laughs> they're not priceless. They're very pricey. Uh, very pricey. That's yeah. no, but that was good. Good. No, I, I appreciate that one. Uh, Joe, Joe Moran says, and people bash HPL's florid style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty lush. It's pretty over the top stuff. I, I have to say, it's been a while since I've read uh, Poe, and honestly, I did need the dictionary when I was when I was reading Poe. I was kept going, yeah. oh, I, I don't, I think I know what that word means, but I don't really know what that word means. Yeah. Well, you know, even Lovecraft, when he writes about him in supernatural horror and literature, the very few things he has to criticize him about, one of them is that um, he references a lot of things that the reader's not going to not gonna know. Right. Um, which I found interesting, because I didn't know what the, the play was that you were talking about. No. Um, I'm just going to read but I mean, this. But hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Lovecraft does that all the time. Oh, he, mentions, he mentions he artists yeah. and, and writers and other people that or a specific painting sometimes he even references. So I'm telling you, if you read in uh, supernatural horror and literature, Lovecraft's description of Poe's writing, his description is so Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's so over the top. It's crazy. Are you, but Are you pulling it up? Are you pulling it up right now? Is that what's I'm happening? pulling up some stuff, but um, well, I didn't want to just say what he, what he had to say about this story. Okay, so do you have it? If you don't have that yet, I can... Okay. Yeah. Certain of Poe's tales possess an almost absolute perfection of artistic form, which makes them veritable beacon lights in the province of the short story. Poe could, when he wished, give to his prose a richly poetic cast, employing that archaic and orientalized style with jeweled phrase, quasi-biblical repetition, and recurrent burthen so successfully used by later writers like Oscar Wilde and Lord Dunsany. And in the cases where he has done this, we have an effect of lyrical fantasy. That's with a PH. Yeah. as usual almost narcotic in essence an opium pageant of dream in the language of dream with every unnatural color and grotesque image bodied forth in a symphony of corresponding sound the mask of the red death 
silence, a fable, and shadow, a parable, are assuredly poems in every sense of the word save the metrical one, and owe as much of their power to oral cadence, aural cadence, as, yes. or, well, aural cadence, as to the visual imagery. But it is in two of the less openly poetic tales, Lygia and the Fall of the House of Usher, especially the latter, which one finds those very summits of artistry whereby Poe takes his place at the head of fictional miniaturists. And we're actually going to cover over on um, Witch House Media for our subscribers-only show. The next mm -hmm. three weeks, we're going to cover the Fall of the House of Usher and continue on this Poe ride. Yes. So I'm looking forward to that. But I, I also like that he calls him uh, a fictional miniaturist. It's an interesting way to describe a short story writer. Fictional miniaturist yeah he creates little miniature stories yeah yeah no, no, I get Lovecraft. It. yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well what else we got to well, say about this well i mean uh this is um uh, you know we were talking about the red death and what what it maybe uh what it what it was some people think it's consumption because his wife virginia died of consumption and of mm. course uh she i think they're they talk about how when she first started getting it, there was a, a rupture cough where she, you know, coughed blood and it was very dramatic and stuff like that. So that, I mean, a lot of the Red Death does sound like consumption, but also when he was in uh, Baltimore, there was a cholera plague that uh, came about as well. So it could be him, see, see, uh, the cholera, the breakout, I'm sorry, the breakout was in 1831 and the story wasn't written until uh, long after that so consumption is um that's that's tb tuberculosis, right? tuberculosis. yeah i, I think mm -hmm. his mother died of tuberculosis as well she very well might have i think his parents were actors <laughs> the pose yeah um, his dad left them and then i believe his mother died pretty shortly thereafter of she did of tuberculosis you're correct and then he was adopted by the allens which is where right um, yeah because he was just edgar poe at birth right, right. and had a, a very strange relationship with them reber clark our a friend of the show and, and yeah often, reber uh, composes, he, he tweeted us is that a poster featuring our featuring our beloved andrew lehman behind chad and uh yeah it is that's where dad that's where dad that's Andrew and his father. <laughs> Andrew designed the poster for us. Um, we've talked about it on the show before. That's the one that was in Scream 3. But uh, yeah, I just, there was such a white wall back there. I want to throw something up. And Andrew's not here, but at least we, we've got him in Yeah, we, could, we got, yeah that's the spirit of, yeah. of Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and I see a Joy Division poster behind you as well. Yeah, speaking of goth. Well, that's just up there anyway, because this is the uh, it's my little music recording area. Oh, very nice. Look at that. I, I mix and, and uh, create the scores for the show. Hey, by the way, people have been asking recently if we're going to, uh, if we're still selling the soundtracks, and um, we're not. <laughs> I, we're going to get them up on the site again very soon. So we're not okay, doing good. the donate to get them thing anymore, but I'm going to actually get them on the Witch House Media site very soon. So. Are, is this going to be digital, Pfeiffer? Or yeah, it'll be going... digital downloads, and then if I can yeah. get them on um, FLAC audio as well, I'm going to do that. So right. just, if anybody's asking. Um, sure, of course. Oh, somebody says movies Vincent Price is bad in, Bloodbath at the House of Death. Then again, nothing is good in Bloodbath at the House of Death. That was sent by. <laughs> I would argue, Gagnon. I would argue that Vincent Price is good in that movie. He probably is. He is good. I I haven't seen it, but I would I would put, I would put money on it that he is actually good in that movie. Even if he's bad, he's still good. It's Vincent Price. It's true. It's true. Hey, I wanted to I wanted to throw this out there too. Um, you and I were laughing about this the other day. 
maybe somebody in the audience will, will help us out with this, but I wanted to um, I wanted to create like the cover of Let It Be. You know how they have the four feet <laughs> pictures of the four yes. wheels. I wanted to, I want to do that and have <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Uh-huh. Lovecraft, and then you know somebody great from the 20th century. Maybe it's a Stephen King. And then in the yeah. fourth one, put Stephanie Meyer in there, and then and then write like the greatest horror authors of all time, and just get it out on the internet so that the geeks go crazy. I would just really love like what? What's she doing in there? I mean, Dude. somebody please make this. You I don't want so that funny. nerd rage out there. I That's... do want it out. There. <laughs> oh my god. Um, burn your house down, man. They will. I, well, no, I don't want to be the one that's responsible for it. I want them to trace oh, it to I me. Oh, I see. I see. So yeah. the idea. That's well, why I'm pipping out the, the audience here. I see. Good thinking. Good thinking. <laughs> now, Poe was a really... I don't know. How much time do we have? What are we doing here? Well, it's it, 1130 right now, according to my clock here. Yeah, so. It is mine as well. So that's that. we have done a half hour, but we, I'd we like to talk have. just a bit about Poe before yeah, we, let's do a little we bit get out of there. Now, he's... Uh, he... he he has kind of really crazy life. I, he, like you were saying, he was adopted, and then he went off uh, to the army, but he failed to get into the failed. At it, no, I, he made it into West Point, but then he failed. Right? Is that what happened? He was in West Point, yeah, and then you think he only did a year there or less. And he, and he, yeah, he got, he basically got booted out. He lost jobs and school and military career and all that stuff because of his drinking, primarily. Right. The uh. uh the one I don't know if they're still doing it, but Jeffrey Combs, one man. Oh my God, it was so good. Um, Edgar Allan Poe's show called Nevermore has a lot of that kind of great biographical history in it. And it's such an but, you can watch uh, the Black Cat Masters of Horror that Stuart Gordon directed. That's about him and his relationship with his cousin. Um, but you can see Jeffrey's makeup and it's Virginia, Virginia, yeah, and yeah. It's it's. Um, it's outstanding. So if that is still touring around, I think people should check that well, out. Well, yeah. And what's really cool about that is it's sort of a recreation because Poe, how he actually made money was by going out and doing these live performances. Right. So he would go and read his stuff. But the thing is, I mean, it's well documented. A lot of times he would show up to these things and be drunk or get drunk, get drunk during, doing it. Yeah. during the show. <laughs> And uh, Jeffrey Combs is so good in it. And it's just, I mean, one guy, it's just one guy on a stage and that's it. Like, there's no props. There's no anything. It's just him doing this. And it's, it's really great. It's outstanding. Yeah. And, um, and what's really neat too about it is that he uh, does it with a Virginia accent, which of yeah. course Poe would have, and you know, I never really thought about it, but right. obviously because that's where. That's yeah. Funny. I tend to associate Poe with um, Baltimore, but he lived all over the place. He did. Including Providence. And, um, and he did. Well, yeah, and he kind of had this whole issue with the Bostonians. Did you read about that? Not really. Well, <laughs> well uh, he he hated, or he got into some kind of literary fight mm-hmm. with uh, Longfellow oh, and, right. and Emerson and Lowell as well. Yeah. And he called them, what did he, I'm, hold on, I'm looking right now. Uh, he called them elegant men of leisure. And and he denounced Boston and said that it was just a place for um, jerks, basically. And uh, he would <laughs> he hated the whole transcendentalist optimism about uh, social progress and all that. And you know because Poe's pretty kind of a negative guy, yeah, for, yes. probably for good reason. But he would do this. He did these like kind of they say Andy Kaufman like performances where he would get people to show up in Boston and then he would say these things that were really cr- like crazy and boring and mm-hmm. and then 
people would get mad and give him bad reviews, and he would just say, people in Boston were stupid. Like, that was his whole, <laughs> like, oh, they don't get it. I'm, I'm a genius. Every, everybody else thinks I'm a genius, but people in Boston just are, are, are simpletons. And, yeah. Uh, it's so funny. Hey, man, you want to hear this really ridiculous description of Poe's writing from Lovecraft? Okay, yeah, yeah, I yeah, please. Um, he's talking about, okay. Yeah, he says he's got some def- defects and affectations. And his often vitriolic outbursts of critical prejudice must all be recognized and forgiven. <laughs> which you were just talking about. Uh-huh. But then he says, beyond and above them, and dwarfing them to insignificance was a master's vision of the terror that stalks about and within us and the worm that writhes and slavers in the hideously close abyss penetrating to every festering horror in the gaily painted mockery called existence and in the solemn masquerade called human thought and feelings that vision had power to project itself in blackly magical crystallizations and transmutations till there bloomed in the sterile America of the 30s and 40s such a moon-nourished garden of gorgeous poison fungi as not even the nether slope of Saturn might boast. (laughs) The nether slope of Saturn? Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think he, I think he liked Poe's writing. I think he liked him quite a bit, yeah. Let's see. Gabe uh, Lanciano wrote in and said, man, more writers need to be sullen alcoholics. That's what modern <laughs> horror is missing. <laughs> I don't think you have to look too far to find a writer that's a sullen alcoholic. Yeah, that's, uh, there's quite quite a few of them. Somebody asks this, and it might be a good way to close out. Now, we are sure. going to be talking about Poe more in our next few episodes, but uh, Christian Heiderson wrote, do you have a favorite theory about Poe's death? For example, killed during a violent vote, coercion gone wrong. That was actually always what I thought that, and, or I don't know when I got that piece of information, but well, there's oddness about how Poe died, right? That nobody really knows. Right. Nobody's quite sure. And if, I mean, there's lots of things. There's that he died in a gutter, like he was stabbed by, um, no, he wasn't stabbed. No, he wasn't stabbed. Was he stabbed? No, no, that, that he, that he drank himself to death. Yeah. That he caught something. Well, Wait, the, he, my list of who Poe, knew Poe him, death? uh, ran into him and, and he'd been missing for a couple of days and he was completely incoherent and he wasn't wearing his own clothes um, right. which is odd and then they took him to the hospital and he, he died shortly thereafter now his his certificate of death and all the records of that visit they're gone none of that stuff exists one very popular theory was that um, he had been accosted, that he'd been paid to go around and, and vote several times vote right yeah because that was a common thing that was going on in the United States at the time is you would get people to go out and get folks drunk and then go get them to vote. But And then kill them in some instances, right? I mean... I guess. Um, there's some you, weird... But why wasn't he... As a, did they dress you up in different clothes to, like, and send you to the same booth a second time thinking that you could trick them? That's what I used to do when I would go trick-or-treating, to, you know, turn my <laughs> costume around and then knock on the same door. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, that, that makes some sense that... Well, yeah, maybe that was... They just put on different clothes and, and people would think you're a different person. But Poe was pretty recognizable, especially with his stash, which yeah. he didn't have most of his life. Oh, really? He only had a stash for the last few years uh, that he that he lived. His, his stash was a, but that's kind of where his iconic image is him with the the post stash. I was going to make a joke earlier, uh, 
when, if we talked about film adaptations, I was going to pretend that I thought that Mask with uh, Eric Stoltz was an adaptation of the story. <laughs> Just throwing that out there now because I never got a chance to, to do that one. <laughs> Eric Stoltz and Cher, I believe, is and also Cher, in that yeah, movie. That's right. And Sam Elliott. Um, Sam Elliott and uh, Laura Dern, who's blind in that movie. I'm, right. Why do I know all this stuff about that it's movie? It's a good movie. It is. I seem to remember a good being adaptation a good of this story. Um, <laughs> you know, there's that. I think there's that really weak um, John Cusack movie that came out recently. I didn't see it. There it's, is it's right. Like Allen Post solving murders or some stupid. It's like that. called. What is it called? But I was upset about it because you know there were a lot of Poe. There's always been like a Poe movie in the works that never seems to get off the ground. I know Michael Jackson was Michael supposed Jack- to be Poe. Man, I would have loved to see that. I, that would have been the greatest movie perhaps ever made if Michael Jackson had portrayed Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> you know who my dream casting for Edgar Allan Poe is, is Bill Murray. I think he's he's probably too old now. But oh, no. There was yeah. some sketch on SNL they did where he played, and everybody was playing famous oh, right, yeah. writers, and he had the whole uh-huh. game on, and it was, like, amazing. He looked exactly like him. He looks a lot like Poe, or Poe looked a lot like him. You know, Poe mm-hmm. died when he was 40. What's that? Say again? Poe died when he was 40, 40 yeah, years of age, which is like, I turn 40 next year. So that kind of flips me out a bit because yeah. in my head, I think he's much older. I mean, you look at pictures of him and he definitely has city miles on him. <laughs> yeah. That, and back to the question, if I have a favorite theory, I think he just, I think he went on a bender and, and his liver couldn't hold out anymore. And he had the DTs and he died. I don't know if there was any. There's a, there's a whole list of every, I mean, people think uh, rabies, diabetes, carbon monoxide poisoning, uh, cooping. I don't even know what cooping is. Diabetes. Some people thought maybe he was diabetic. But yeah, I mean, I think he probably was just on another bender and finally his yeah. body just couldn't take it anymore. Although Gabe Lanciano uh, again wrote um, to help us out, you jest, but people would shave and change clothes to vote many times over. It is recorded. So. All right, there you go. Uh, Thank and, you very much. And Jenny, uh, whom we've we've met, Jenny, she's the one that made us. Uh, oh, absolutely, yes. Hi, Jenny. Hello. This little, this little guy. She she wrote, "I'm so dumb. I just thought it was a story about a party." <laughs> You're not dumb, Jenny. I mean, it is a story about a party. <laughs> it is. That is exactly what it is. It's just a party that goes south. Okay. Well. Uh, done about 40 minutes here so i guess we should wrap this up that's pretty good yeah that's pretty good i think it was okay i felt a little embarrassed when i stumbled over my reading and then uh, made myself really really uncomfortable uh once once i made a mistake you kind of get on that roll and but other than that i thought it was all right it wasn't too bad for a live show yeah it's uh we're used to having the production and the extra reader and the music and 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 that sort of thing but this is this kind of fun way to do it and i really like people being able to to write in while we're yeah, absolutely. Well, if we do decide to do this again, I think it might be best if we get another person involved and uh, that, a reader, maybe. I don't know, Andrew Lehman. Just throwing that out there. Perhaps. And uh, um, he's a great guest too. So yeah, and he's just he's a great guy to have around, and he knows a lot about a lot of things. So uh, we'll, we'll see. But f- next week, for those people that are are part of the pay show. Uh, or subscribe to the pay show, I should say. They well, they're part of it because if they didn't subscribe to it, we wouldn't be doing it. No, so. no, I'm laughing because Brendan Gardner just wrote in and said uh-huh. uh, Poe died with a Kelly Blue Book rating of poor. <laughs> it's a reference oh. to you saying he had a lot of city miles on him. <laughs> That's hilarious. Thanks, 
Uh, thanks, Brendan. And um, next week, we're going to start into uh, our coverage of Fall of the House of Ushers. Yep, that's right. right. So um, anything else to add? That's it. I want to thank Chad Pfeiffer for doing our reading this week. Oh, you're very welcome. Hey, oh, oh speaking of reading, uh, Deadbeats yeah. is out. Oh, right, yes. You can go buy I- that book. Yeah, but you have to buy it in the UK, unfortunately. So if you're an American and you can't wait for it, which you shouldn't be able to wait for it, mm-hmm. you can order from Amazon.co.uk and then have it shipped to the states. But you have to pay extra to have it shipped yeah. to the states. Not too much. I, I'm I'm having some shipped here, but hopefully soon, if we get authors' copies, we can sell them from our site. And and the US edition will be out, but just not till 2000. Well, yeah, I'm hoping. I'm going to be making a trip to the United States in January, so I'm going to try and find out how many copies I can legally take with me when I make the trek over. <laughs> they might all get sure. confiscated by those horror-loving uh, security agents at the. They love it. They love horror stuff there. So, there you go. It's it's it'll it's out now. You can order it from Amazon.co.uk. Unfortunately, it's going to be a long time before it'll be out in the states, yeah. which is uh, I think they said 2014. Yeah. So over a year before it'll be yeah. uh, launched in the states. So, just wanted to mention that though. Um, yeah, absolutely. And okay, well we'll That's be chatting it. again soon uh, next week with the Fall of the House of Usher. Um, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. Now I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast at hppodcraft.com. Can you do a little scream? I, I can't. What am I doing? A little scream. Just go like, ah, like say, that. Ah! Or should I look in the camera and do it? Go, ah! <laughs> ah! <laughs> HPPodcraft.com. <laughs>